Before we begin tonight, I would like to ask the Lord's assistance in prayer. Holy Father, we come in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we need your assistance once again. We want your word to be made clear to us, and so Holy Spirit, we ask that you would guide us, open our eyes and ears, and open our understanding. May these things bring to us the truth that only you have and have the ability to give. And so we thank you, Lord, for the scriptures, and we thank you for our interpreter, the Holy Spirit. And so we pray that the things said tonight will be true and reflective exactly what is to be uh, said and adhered to in the word. So, Father, we give you the glory for your truth. We thank you for the promises that you've given to us. And we pray, Lord, that what is said might be uplifting to Christ. The gospel be made clear. May someone hear these words and be blessed. May souls be saved. And may your glory be seen in the world. We pray this in our Lord's name. Amen. Amen. Now tonight I, I've chosen to look at Psalm 90, which is called the Song of Moses. It is, uh, what, the goal that I have tonight is not to have some type of topic that I have chosen, kind of lifted out of it and thought that we might need. It wouldn't be wrong to do that, but I want this, I want this particular psalm to stand on its own. I want to see what Moses saw. And I want us to give this time as a time of devotion to the Lord. And so, without further ado, I'm going to read the psalm to you. It's only 17 verses. And I want the words to just, just let them sink in and see what Moses is saying. And then we'll take a closer look at what we might find with a closer observation. <clears throat> a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord... You have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your cider, but as yesterday, when it is past, or as a watch in the night, you sweep them away as with a flood. They're like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. We are brought to an end by our anger, by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days are away under your wrath. We bring our hearts to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are seventy, or even by reason of strength, eighty. Yet in their span is but a toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. 
Let the favor of the Lord, our God, be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. There's a, there's a powerful feel in this particular psalm. It is uh, the heart of Moses crying out to God. And so what I want us to see tonight is more of a, of a, of a way of devoting ourselves to God. There are four things that I see in this psalm, and I think you'll see them as we go through this. There is strength here to be found. I know that this psalm can be divided into halves. That is, one part talks about how frail we are and how um, in the wilderness of life we are and the discoveries of, of our shortness of life and so on. And then at the very end, you, you know, Moses brings the solution to us about um, having God revealed to us. He calls upon God for this help. But in all of these things, we can see that there is strength in this in abiding in God. And for us, with the knowledge of Christ, our strength is to abide in Christ because he is the abiding place. This is where God is saying, there is a dwelling place, even in the wilderness. And we know that this is Christ our Lord. There is number two, there is a joy to be found in the beauty of his person. This psalm ends with the idea that let the favor of the Lord be upon us and establish the work of our hands. And it says, we want to see the beauty of God here. And so our joy is knowing and understanding Perceiving the beauty of God, the beauty of Christ, the beauty of that worthy one. And that is where our joy is. Our joy is in the strength of abiding in him. And thirdly, there is a final rest. Much of this psalm has to do with man contemplating his own death. It has to do with being able to number his days, knowing his frailty, knowing his weakness, knowing that God sees within him. And so there is a rest to be understood here, a rest that if they should have entered it in the wilderness, they never would have sought it someplace else. And so there is a rest in the work that he establishes. Please show us and show us the work that you have established. And it is in the, in the person of Jesus Christ. And it shows us our person, our purpose for living, the strength, the joy, the rest, and our purpose for living is to delight in the beauty of his glory. We find that in the very last sentence. And so let me just kind of give you an overview now as an, as, as an introduction that in verses 1 through 11, we see the plight of man. In verses 12 through 17, Moses presents the solution of our plight. And it is this feel, this earning, or shall we say the urging of Moses' heart to reach out and to say, Oh God, we are the people that are your people in the wilderness. Please help us because we are in desperate need. The first 11 verses is going to show us some very general ideas. It shows us that there is a dwelling place of the saints. It will be in the wilderness, but so are we. We are in the wilderness of this, of this life. And it is in God alone that we find our dwelling place. There is an eternal God to be sought after. There is no water in the wilderness, there is no food, and yet he feeds us, he gives us what we need. And in the bleakness of this life, God is an eternal God who provides all these things. And after asking God to search us, after seeing these things, the, the justice of God is seen. He, shall we say, uh, asking for God to, to be, um, shall we say, the justice of God 
it's going to come and it undoes us. It com it does it completely. It causes us to become unraveled before him. And this is not a bad thing. It is not something that we should grieve over, but it is something that the gospel does to us and eventually for us. And so there is then experiencing the justice of God. It op opens our eyes to the holiness of God because we are not going to be the servants of Pharaoh's or of slave masters, but we will be the servant of him who brought us out of slavery. And even though it is in the wilderness, we will find a master that keeps us safe and will bring us into the promised land. And there is also a view of God that is an angry God, a God whose wrath should be uh, uh, awestruck. It strikes us as it is better to be in the hands of a God who is just and angry, knowing that he loves us than to be in anyone else's hands because he is aware of our frailty and our feebleness and is comforting to know that we are in his hand. That is in the first 11 verses. We'll look more closely at them in a few minutes. The last five verses shows us that Moses is going to provide us the, uh, the remedy in wisdom, seeking after wisdom, seeking after God's mercy, and then pleading that God's hand and beauty be upon us. So let's go through this verse by verse, and it won't be a simple, it'll just be a very simple devotion uh, for this, for, for our congregation here. Verse number one. <clears throat> a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. We can see here that the people of God, this is a statement that surpasses what is being done in the wilderness. It goes from Adam and it goes all the way to the very end of time. He is our dwelling place, and yet the address here is for a man who is in the wilderness. He is in that place that he sees the, the promised land afar off, but he is not there. But it goes from generation to generation. That makes the distinction between who we are and what he is. He is a God that is the God of Abraham and Jacob and Isaac. And the, we, anyone can say, well, we don't even believe in a resurrection. Well, then how can he be the God of these men? These are not dead men. These are, they are the, they are the, uh, he is the God of these men, and he is the God of us. He is a God of generation to generation. It is spoken to the tribes while they are in the wilderness. Who would ever step, uh, that is, these people, in this time of Moses, they would never step foot into the promised land. They are uh, just like us. We are not going to uh, go to bed one night, go to heaven, and come back and write a book about it. Heaven is not that place where we get to vacation at or have a timeshare in. It is that place that we see afar off. It is that place that our hearts are anchored in, but it is a place that we hold by faith, and it is promised to us. So we are no different than they that were wandering in the wilderness. Now, there will be a day that we will dwell in the presence of God forever. That will be our eternal inheritance. That will be our reward to be with Christ in that place. Chapter, I mean, uh, verse number two. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. What Moses here is doing is preparing his heart to pray to God, to have an essence of, I shall contemplate and put my heart upon the things of God. And to do so, you must not think of idols. You must not think of the imaginations of men, but you have to know what the scripture says about the Lord. He is the invisible God who has created all things. 
He is from everlasting to everlasting. Remember what we've learned in the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. His name tells us who he is. He is, the, he is the first and he is the last. He is the one that holds all these things in his hand. He is all powerful and he is that one. We have to let go of what the world says he is. We have to let go of the idea that a man on TV will say, we have found out how the molecule can be split. That proves there is no God. This man is a fool. We have to believe what God says about himself. He is the one that cannot be comprehended with our small minds, and yet he can be appreciated with the heart that was created in his image. Can you see the difference? We will never be like God physically or mentally, but we are like God in character, and we can appreciate and love the Almighty who is holy and who is kind and also who is just. And so it is this God who formed the earth before, and he is everlasting to everlasting. He is eternal. His resources unlimited. There is no boundaries. He's always been and always will be. And we, on the other hand, as his people, in contrast, we are fleeting. We have this small beginning and even a smaller ending. Our needs are everlasting, and yet we have no ability to achieve them ourselves. Our resources have no strength, and yet God is the Almighty and all-powerful. It is he is everything that we need, and we are actually, shall we say, we are in need of all that he is. So, verse number three, you say to man, to dust, and say, return, O children of man. There is the idea that in the fall, that dust to dust and ashes to ashes, we were made of the dust of the earth, and there is no doubt that to the dust we shall return. Everything about us, as marvelous as it is, as beautiful as his creation is, as magnificent as it is, that we cannot even understand how beautiful of a creation our own bodies are, and yet it is nothing but made of dust. It is nothing but, uh, uh, it is no, of no greater value physically than dust. And God has his time for each and every one of us. There is a time that we shall return to dust. And God has that time for each and every one of us. We are born to face this demise. We are born that we might learn that we are going to die. And God will call us back to dust. God has even turned that curse into a blessing for us. Remember what the words of Balaam were. They, he couldn't even bring the curses, curses that he wanted, but God put the words in his mouth. And so even now, the world fights against this type of understanding, but God has given it to us, and no man can turn it back. We are no longer under the authority and domin, dominion of death. That has confused me when in my younger days, I used to think that, well, when I, was, when I became a Christian and I was no longer under the dominion of sin, that I would have power over that and that I would not want to sin anymore. But dominion is more of an authority or, or shall we say a jurisdiction. While we lived under sin, sin by virtue of the strength of God's law had the authority to say this man has to die and he is condemned and death is his final place. But since Christ came and atoned for our sin, that jurisdiction has been moved and changed 
We are no longer under the jurisdiction of a condemning law. And so we are no longer under the pains of death. We are no longer under and have, should have no more fear of death. Death should no longer hold the sting for us that we anticipate that will be uh, for all men. Verse number four. For a thousand years in your sight are as but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. We cannot even comprehend what this verse really says, but it is a magnificent way of thinking of God, is it not? A lot of people will take this and they'll think something along these lines. Well, does that mean that evolution is true? After all, when days like a thousand years, perhaps um, uh, God has done this creation through evolution because now like one day could be a million years. They don't even understand. Why should you even entertain these type of thoughts? The thoughts are this. God does not live the way you live. His years are not like our years. He is the eternal God and we are not. That's the expression. We are not. For, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. We have to correct our thinking, and we have to compare and contrast the way we are with God. The, and we have to do this almost continuously. We have to do this, we have to come to that conclusion, and then carry it with us. We have no power, and we have no time to change anything in our life. We cannot stop the clock. We cannot make the sun rise at a different time. We cannot slow down the days. We cannot make ourselves grow older slower, or we cannot change anything. We cannot even change the way our hair grows or anything about us. But yet we seem that I'm a man that's in control of my life. I'm a self-made man. I have done this and this. Men live their lives in pride, thinking of what they can do in control of their lives. And yet the truth is they have no control whatsoever. None at all. The, prideous, uh, the most prideful thing that a man can do will say, no one can make me do anything I don't want to do. My goodness. We are men and creatures that have no choice but to be who we are and what we are. It is constantly, I don't know, every Christian that meditates on who we are before the Holy God has nothing else to say except you are the Almighty and I am just but a lowly creature. We are saved by His grace and the greatness of who He is can only make us wiser as we submit to a good and just God. And that is the paradox that we live with. The good God must condemn us. The just God must condemn us. And yet we love the beauty of that righteousness but it is his mercy that says, you will have what you love without fear of being condemned by it. This is the paradox. This is the greatness of who God is, the everlasting God, and yet he comes to us in the time of our life, in our frailty and in our weakness. To him, our lives are like a watch in the night. But to us, it is everything, isn't it? Everything to us. Our lives are all we have. All of our days, from birth to, 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 to the grave, it's all that we have. And yet to God, it is like a watch in the night. But thanks be to God, he doesn't, he doesn't treat it like a watch in the night. As one second is, it's like a thousand years to God. You see, people like to turn that around, don't they? 
Like a thousand years is like one day. Well, one second of our lives, God has given all his omnipotent knowledge and power to, to turn all things to the good to those who love God. Number Verse number five. <clears throat> you sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. To compare the power of men to God is almost ludicrous, and yet we must do it to have a proper understanding. We look at our history, the history of man. There's Genghis Khan, there is Julius Caesar, there is all these magnificent leaders that rounded up people, and we see them rising up like beasts out of the sea of men. They have their way, and it seems as though they have their own glory. But when it comes to comparing them to God, they are like a blade of grass that's grown up only to be mowed down or chewed by a cow. We are told that God is like this from his viewpoint. He sees us like that. We are like the grass. And until we see ourselves like that, we lack proper wisdom. We lack proper perspective. We need to see ourselves the way God sees us. Now, <clears throat> we are told that man views himself this way only when God tells him to. When we are looking at our lives the way Moses is viewing the children of Israel in the wilderness, it is the beginning of wisdom. It is that place where we need to know where we are really in dire need. Without God, we genuinely have no hope at all. None. There is no escape. I love those, you know, I can't remember where I heard this, but it must be from a story or from a movie I saw or something, but somebody yells out, nobody's getting out of this, nobody's getting out of here alive. Well, that's our life. No one's getting out of this life alive. We are all going right to the grave. And we need to number those days. We need to understand that. And once we get that down, then let's not be afraid of it because it drives some people to despair. But it is that same realization that causes us to reach out to God. Without God, we are at the mercy of justice and death, which is no mercy at all. Without God, his mercy is still upon us. I mean, his justice is still upon us. And so to be at the mercy of justice, you see, that's a paradox. Justice has no mercy. They are opposites. Only the guilty can have mercy placed upon it, but mercy is kindness to the guilty. If there was only justice, we would all receive death, and then that would be the end. But with God, we are at the mercy of a loving God, of the God who loved us so much that he sent his own son to die for us. That's the type of mercy that we can look forward to after we come to the realization that God is God and we are not. Verse number six. In the morning it flourishes and, and flourishes is and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. This again refers to the frailty of man and his life. Man, man may seem to look like he's starting well. You know how grass looks when it begins to grow. You're all excited. Oh, look, my lawn is looking great. Or my uh, flowers that I planted. Or my vegetables that I'm growing. They all look real good. They're so vibrant and strong. And yet, they have a season, don't they? They come up like it, it comes up and it withers at the, at the noonday and dies in the evening. It is something that we have to do by looking at our own lives. We may say, oh, I'm going to be living to be 80 years old. Isn't that a long, productive, happy life? 
It is nothing compared to God. It is absolutely nothing. My life right now seems as though I just got up in the morning and I've already went through that noon and I'm already looking at the evening. The years are not, you know, our lives are now, instead of being measured in hours, you know, instead of days, right? They're measured in, in, in days instead of years and instead of decades. We have to really say, what about eternity? Our lives, if it's not like God's, is nothing but a flash in the pan. Verse number 7. For we are brought to an end by your anger, and your wrath, and by your wrath we are dismayed. I think this is what he means by when we come to grips with the truth, and we come to understand who we are in his sight. We are brought to an end by his anger. Sometimes, even when men realize that God is angry with them, they rebel and they have their own prideful strength to say, I would rather rule in hell than serve in heaven. It's better for me to fight this God. It gives me my prideful purpose. And yet, it is by the kindness of God that his anger kindles against us. It is by his kindness. He doesn't have to tell us that he's going to judge us. It is by his mercy that he reveals this to us, that we see and become aware of our, uh, of our frailty. It is by his kindness that we see his anger and that we can see that we should be dismayed. It is a proper thing that this should happen this way. This is growing in worldly wisdom. This kind of worldly wisdom being taught by our public schools will teach our children that there is nothing after death. Just deal with it. And then what happens is despair. And yet when we come to this idea of saying, what happens when I die? What about my whole life? This part of worldly wisdom locks on the door of God and said, is there any other type of wisdom that I can depend upon? Is there something more to this than saying that I shall live and then I shall die? Yes, there is, of course. The wisdom of God is this, that God is a holy God who is offended by our sin. Knowing the goodness and beauty of God is like a heartbeat of the regenerate man. It is the proof of life that we love God is life. Loving Christ is the breath of a regenerate person. And so when it comes to uh, are we dismayed? Well, look to God. Let your dismay become joy. Let all these things be turned around by the Lord Jesus Christ. By grace, this worldly wisdom is turned into spiritual wisdom. It is, <clears throat> it is by God's justice and righteousness when he appears to us and we begin to understand our dismal plight that we turn dismayed. And yet without this, there is no hope. Any man that's ever laid hold of Christ has gone through that despair of hopelessness. He has seen himself and he has seen the pain he has understood that his life is without any recourse. There is no remedy to him. And yet God has had mercy by being angry with him, by showing him his wrath. And when we see his wrath, 
We beg for his mercy and grace. And what will God do? God says, if you seek, you shall find. If you ask, you shall receive. Grace and mercy is the God who tells us he's angry with us. Verse number eight. You have set our iniquities before you and our secret sins in the light of your presence. It is dismaying to the person that cannot hide his sin, is it not? Can you imagine everyone sitting in the courtrooms in our, across our country, going before the judges, before their magistrates, having an accusation of a crime against them, and they would say to that man, now we're going to show you the evidence of your guilt. We're going to open up your heart and your mind and display everything you've ever said and thought. What do you think that man would do? He would melt in his shoes right there. And yet this is the position that we have before our Lord. He opens our hearts and mind. It is displayed for all to see. The, the, and you would say, well, well, I don't want everyone to see. The only one that's important that can, that can see is seeing it. God is the only one who is important. All the rest are only people. Who cares what they think? And I know, oh, I shouldn't think like that. Well, when it, when it comes to, to God and everyone else, I really don't care what people think. I do care what God thinks. And so, you have set our iniquities before us. He says, I see them. Here they are. I know you have knowledge of them. You have done them. And yet, it is shown to us in the light of his presence. His presence brings light to our own conviction. As saints living in the wilderness, like us, we begin to understand that we are the ones who have chosen to live in sin, and then that knowledge is brought again to us. God has allowed us to see our own denial, our own sin. We, we are able to see what we have deserved, and it boils down to this, that God knows, and he looks upon it, and when dealing with our sin, we have to do what is hard to do, and that is to face them. Face your frailty and your sin, knowing that God has seen it all. And it is in this wilderness that we take care of it. Let's do our business now while we can. He has shown us what he knows and let us respond appropriately to it. <clears throat> Verse number nine. For all our days are passed away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. At the end of my life, which is now, I'm at the end of my life. This is not the beginning of my life. I can understand what Moses is saying, that it's almost like a sigh. This has been a long, this has been a long trail for me. Maybe not for God, maybe not for others, but there is a long trail of, shall we say, disaster. There is nothing that I've ever done that's ever been truly good that came from my hand. Everything that I've ever done has always been tainted with sin and has come from hearts that from a heart that I have to say, did I really do that for God? Did I do that for his glory? Everything about me. And yet, when I look at the promises of God, I see his mercy helping me to the point where he can take all this and Jesus Christ is the one who can say to my Father in heaven, all of his sin has been paid for. All of it. His endeavors let me fix all the things that he tried to do properly, let me 
uh, present them to you. My life without Christ is nothing but a sigh. It is nothing but a great disappointment. And yet, I am not disappointed. My life with Christ has been something that I can only say is the greatest relief I've ever had. It is the greatest relief that all of us can experience. We've been given the grace of being corrected in this short time here on this earth. We should thank God for every time the Lord convicts us. We can see our own story if we care to look and examine ourselves. We can be a witness to what God has done for us and what he has said about us. And I would say now, even now, at the end or at the beginning of your life, if you're a young person, maybe at the beginning, maybe in your middle age, you may have some days left. Who knows how many days you have? But I'll say this, seize the moment. Seize the moment of truth. Always value the truth and say to yourself, this is what God wants me to see. Allow me to react appropriately to it. Let me live my life as being directed by the Holy Spirit according to the truths that are in his word. Verse number 10. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but a toil and trouble, and they are soon gone, and we fly away. It doesn't matter if you live to be 150. At the end of your life, you'll say, my goodness, has it been short. It has been like a flash in the pan. And even if you live your life to be 20 years old, if you've lived it for the glory of God, it is a well-spent life and a life full of goodness, a life full of glory. We have sent missionaries out of our church, have we not? Young people. And even if they go and they die on the field, their lives will be as full as anyone who's ever lived 100 and 200 years, even those before the, even those before the flood. God is eternal, but we are not. But God has given us life that is everlasting. We may not go to the ages past, but we will go to the ages future. We must seize the moment of truth now, and we must bless God for this great gift. Verse number 11. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? I can tell you who considers that. Those who have had their eyes opened to the truth by the Holy Spirit. It is a question that means this. How can we understand just how angry God is? How can we understand just how much His holiness has been offended and how much His justice shall take vengeance upon those who sin against Him? But we are reminded by the very same type of question that Isaiah had. It is very similar in, in, in essence. Who has believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? see, a similar question, but from a different perspective. Consider the power of your anger and your wrath according. Who has, who has considered this? The power of your wrath and your fear. Who has? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Do not consider being afraid of God as some type of judgment. It is a blessing. It is a kindness that we should face a God that scares the daylights out of us because we should be as sinners. But we should also consider this. The same God who scares us, we are scared because of our sin. Let us never forget that this sin is shouldered by our Christ. 
We should always have our Christ as our joy, as our comfort, as our rest. Because the justice of God may be scary to the sinner, but it is a truly beautiful thing. Justice, there is nothing more beautiful than justice, nothing more beautiful than righteousness. And so let us nurture the life in Christ that we may learn to appreciate and love what is good and right. The world expects the Christian to be the expert in what is right, and yet the church has failed so many times. Let us become that expert. Now the remaining verses, the next five verses, are going to be the solution to the first 11. We've seen what type of a problem that men have, and so let's take a look and see what type of solution that Moses presents to us. Verse number 12. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Mainly, my prayer is this for all of us here, that there is a worldly wisdom, and sometimes the worldly wisdom isn't that filled with debauchery or with evil. There is, there is, a, there is a true nobility of man's heart if he does not um, let, let it become so uh, destroyed by sin. But you see, this is what, this is what God is saying to, to us right now. Count your days. Even a man that is without God may say, why am I so, why do, why do I have to die? What is the question of that? Because of your sin. That's a good question. It's a question that if, the, if God should answer that question to him by the word of God and he opens his eyes, he would say, you have to die because you're evil of heart. And therefore, we need to take this worldly wisdom, turn it into spiritual wisdom. And what is spiritual wisdom? The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. That is, that is where the two must come together. We must take what we used to think we were smart and turn it into true wisdom. It has to be changed. It has to be nurtured. It has to be become not what it is, prideful, and saying, well, I figured it all out. No, you haven't. No one can figure it out. But God can give you the truth, and you can live in that truth. Worldly wisdom can be changed to spiritualism only by the grace of God. You must seize the moment whenever God teaches you. It is to take this life seriously. It is very brief, so let's live it seriously. Let's live each moment knowing that we must give an account to God for it. Verse number 13. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. How many times have we, knowing the grace of God and the kindness of God, have abandoned God by walking away from Him just on our daily tasks? You get up in the morning, you do not think of Him. You do your chores, you do not have His thoughts come into your mind. And yet day after day, there, is there a time when, when you have lost? He says, where, where is my God? Return, O God. Now this may be, you know, I'm sure that this, this passage of Scripture may also be saying, O Lord Jesus, come back and save us. And as Moses would say, O Lord, deliver us from the wilderness of this world. But as I live my life, I have to say, I have not thought about God all day. What have I done? Why, have my, why has my heart been so cold? And so you say, why are you gone? Search for God's presence with you all the time. This is the plea of the sinner to have fellowship with the Holy God.
It is also a plea to have God come back for salvation, but also it is that plea to, while you're living in the wilderness, to have the presence of God, to have the glory of God among his people. Though our sin requires us to die, we have been granted spiritual life in Christ through this grace. Death will be swallowed up in victory in our Christ. We have to see that when we, when we plead for God to return, it is that same plea that Christ returned to us, that Christ, his heart be formed within us, and when we shall be raised for newness of life. How long in this life will it take us to know God? It is he alone that knows our frailty and our weaknesses and our infirmities, so let us cast our souls upon him because he knows our weaknesses. We can cast our souls upon him because he loves us. So, verse number 14. Satisfy us, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all the days of our lives. It's difficult to satisfy people, isn't it? Sometimes people just can't be satisfied. There's a saying I have at work when people complain. I usually say something like this, a little sarcastically. Oh, I guess some people would complain if they were hung with a new rope, you know. And, and I know that's something that doesn't, doesn't make them feel good, but it's a little bit like some people just like to complain. And life is tough, you know. Life is hard, and it's really harder for the stupid, you know. Sometimes we can think along these lines. But when we say, I want to be satisfied, I want to be made happy, I want to be given what I want, well, the wise man has learned that it's not the fleeting things like, I would like to have a little fertilizer on the grass before it burns up at noon. I would like to have a nice trim off the top before it withers in the evening. That's not what's going to satisfy us. Only Christ and eternal life. Only being the presence of a God who, when he initially came to us, was angry and was vengeful with justice. But now the beauty of God is the beauty of his justice and that we can enjoy it because of Christ. So to ask God to satisfy us in the morning is like saying this, and early on in my life may I know Christ so well that I can be a man of joy while I'm growing up and be satisfied with who my God is even though I walk in the wilderness, even though around me we may not have drink uh, a water to drink for our bodies, but we have, a, we have a well of everlasting life within us because of the truth. We may be like this all the days of our life. This is the plea of the sinner to ask for mercy, the mercy of God's presence in Christ. We look forward to that new day, don't we? But we can be refreshed every day in our souls by the promises of God in Christ. It makes every day more tolerable. And shall I say this, more than that, it can even be joyful. Our joy can be full, even though we lack physically almost everything. Verse number 15, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for the years, many years, as we have seen evil. This implies this. We are, Moses is, is saying, we want to be joyful, we want to be glad, while what? While we live our life, while we're being afflicted. By whom? By God. For how long? For many years. 
And what shall it be? Well, it shall be evil days. It's like, what have I gotten myself into? Why am I a Christian? Why am I going to receive these things that is nothing but affliction and, and evil all my days? There is no man on this planet that is not going to receive those things. The question is, will you receive it in justice or will you receive it by the grace of God? And even his afflictions are good. Only God can turn curses into blessings. Only God can make us glad to live a life in this world, in this flesh, enduring all things by the grace of God and say, this is my God and this is the day and I'll be glad in it. Nothing can give the strength to a sinner like the grace of God can. It is the same type of grace that men receive on their deathbeds before they go to meet Christ. There is a day-to-day -day grace that we need in order to say, I am happy in Christ today. I'm happy in God. As we wander in the wilderness of this life, we can enjoy the presence of God by the presence of His Spirit. We can endure the burdens that He calls us to bear. Even in these times of grieving over lost loved ones, laboring over the weakness of our own flesh, we can be glad that we have our church, our family, our loved ones that are in Christ. They are our mothers and our fathers. They are our brothers and sisters. The ones in Christ. Verse number 16. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. It is a good thing to be able to see the hand of God working, isn't it? I would say this. Sometimes I'm not a, a very good worker, I mean a very good leader at work where I will go into a, a server room and I'll, I'll start typing in a configuration and, and uh, some, one of the, if I'm training somebody, I'll, they'll be there and I'll say, just wait a minute. I'll just, there, I'm all done. It's just a lot easier to do it myself. Thank you very much. You know, and sometimes life is like that. It's just sometimes just being shown what someone else is doing is, is a great blessing and a great privilege. God does not have to show us how things are done. He is not obligated to tell us the secrets and what's going on behind the curtain. He's not. And yet it has pleased him to do so many, many times. Moses here is asking, let us see your hand. And God, in his wisdom, many times does not. But sometimes he does. Now, I'm not that kind of guy that says God gives me visions and understandings and dreams of future things of that. You know that. But I'm telling you, there has been times in my life where providence has worked out. And I say, no one can do this but God. It is marvelous in my eyes the way my life has uh, worked out. It is a complete marvel to me of all the things that has happened to me. And I want to see... There it goes. I want to see God working in our lives too. And we can see the general truth that he has given to us. Christ is coming back. He has died for our sins. He has created all things. These are very important truths. But also he works in every individual life. He works in our lives and he will show you if you see, if you, if you look, if you ask him. And what, what, you know, well, I'm not too sure what you mean, Russ. You know, I'm not too sure. Is, that, is this some type of hidden knowledge that no one else can know? All I can tell you is this. If you believe that God is omnipotent and controls all things, then you have to say his hand is everywhere. 
You have to have that understanding that you are in the hand of the Almighty. Let us rest in that knowledge and you will see his hand. The summary is this. Let us number our days that we may apply wisdom to our hearts in this way as your servants. Show us as your servants. Let us see your work. Let us see the works of your hand. And we want to know what you have done. We want to enjoy the glory of knowing you are who, who you are by knowing what you have done. In seeing this, we will see your glory. May our children be able to see this also. May they be able to see our glory. Because for one thing, we are his servants, but we are also his children. We are the servants and we are also his children. So let your servants see your work and let your children see your glory. And now the last verse, we see this. Let the favor of the Lord be upon us. Now this has been translated differently in ESV and in the, in the King James Version. It can also mean, uh, let the delight of the Lord be upon us. Or let the beauty of the Lord be upon us. But let the beauty or the favor or his delight be upon us. That is the prayer. And establish the work of our hands. May our hands, may what we do, be your work. Let us see your work and may the our hands do your work. May we listen, believe, and obey as your servants. Not as Machiavellian servants to say, I know he wants this, so I'll do anything to get it. No, 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 no. You must not do anything to get it. You must do what is good and righteous to get it. Because we are called to walk righteously. He brings it about in a marvelous way. We cannot live our lives in a way that says, I want God to be successful, so I'm going to give him the upper hand. No, you cannot give the Almighty the upper hand. We are his servants, and we do what he tells us to do. The beauty or the favor and delight of God will be upon us if we walk in his path, if we live that life, if we see his hand. So let us, let our hands, let our work, what, what, what we do in our lives be his work and it'll be for his glory so if we do his will we shall be established forever in conclusion we can see that in the wilderness there was a dwelling place of God among his people the eternal God that transcended all of their fleeting lives they saw the justice of God before their very eyes they learned what the holiness of God was like they saw his anger and his wrath, and they understood, finally, the frailty and feebleness, feebleness of their own condition. That is our life also, and that is the beginning of wisdom. But that is our plight, but it is not our end. It is those things that were the means of grace to bring us to the wisdom that only comes from God to receive his mercy to have this final plea to God that we may have his hand upon us, that we might, that our hands might do his work and that his beauty would be upon us. So our strength is a gift by God, shall we say, scaring us to Christ. Our joy is found in the beauty of understanding the holiness and justice of God because we have the mercy and grace in Christ and we can rest in his work and this is the purpose of our life. It's a very sobering psalm, is it not? It is a psalm that sometimes 
can only be sung with a, a minor key. I once um, heard a man say while he was preaching that no songs in the, hymn, uh, in the hymnal should be sang that's, that's played in a minor key. We want to be joyful. But I'm telling you what, there's a lot about our Christian lives that are just minor in key. They are sad because of their very nature that they are. We are people that are sinners, and there's a lot of sad things. However, these things do not define us. They lead us to God. They lead us to God. God allows us to remember our frailty, that we may live in gratitude, that we can understand the greatness of our God by understanding the limits of our lives. We are just like the grass, but we shall live in the presence of God forever. We are not like the holy God, but we shall be made like Christ. The contrasts are beautiful. Let us not just remember the sad things, but we must go through the sad things to enjoy the beauty of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Our Holy Father, we now ask that you would take what little worldly wisdom we've had and convert it completely into spiritual wisdom. May we fear you in a holy and reverent way. May we not want to offend you. May we live our lives completely humble before you, uh, uh, leaving and avoiding the type of pride that would um, impress people, but that would offend you. So, Father, allow us to live our lives, numbering our days, knowing our frailty, knowing our weaknesses, that we might see that our strength is in the second Adam. Our beauty is in the one who was able to do what we could not do, and yet it was a gift to us by our second Adam, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Father, visit upon us the knowledge of our Christ. We pray, Lord, give us the wisdom of knowing our limits by resting in you who have no limits. Give us, Father, this grace. May the beauty of your person rest upon us. May we have our lives... Um, completed and given purpose by blessing and glorifying you. We pray this in our Lord's name. Amen.